Welcome everyone to Outside Inside Radio. I'm one of your co-hosts, Ella Turen. I'm Kathy Foley-Meyer, the other co-host. And today we have a wonderful guest with us, Alida Ledesma, who is the Executive Director at Arts for Healing and Justice Network. And we're gonna talk today about arts and youth and the incredible impact that this organization has had on the lives of young people. Welcome, Alita. We're so excited to have you here with us today. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So I want to start off by sharing with people, if you can help people understand what is the Arts for Healing and Justice Network. And also the Arts for Healing and Justice Network has gone through its own transformation over the past couple of years. So maybe you can tell us uh, the origin story and also how you came to be its executive director. Sure. So we did. We actually went through a name change last fall. So we were originally the Arts for Incarcerated Youth Network. And our name, our founding name, really, I think, captured the work that we were doing. So when AHJN now started, it was a group of art organizations that were doing programming inside the juvenile detention facilities. And they sort of knew of each other. They would bump into each other at the different sites, but they really didn't know who was where, what they were doing. And so they had this idea of like, why don't we come together to talk about what everybody is doing? And so that's how the network was formed. It was a loose work group under the Violence Prevention Coalition. And it was just this group of ED sort of being like, what facility are you in? What days are you programming? How do we do coordinated services? And that's really where all of this began. And then we got the opportunity to do a training with field probation officers. And so that really was a catalyst for what became the network. We had about 60 probation officers come and do an arts training. And we had previous alumni of the program show up. And it was such a powerful and transformative experience for everybody that everybody, including probation, was like, how do we do more of this? Um, and then we did a pilot to do summer programming at the different camps and halls through the Children's Defense Fund Freedom Schools program. And that was incredibly successful. Everybody sort of saw the opportunity there. At that time, I think it was a little bit of destiny. The county was looking at how do you create coordinated services inside the facilities? They had gotten money through the development of the Kilpatrick facility. So there was sort of this opportunity in time. So everything sort of lined up. The county was looking to coordinate services. The network was already bringing together these art organizations that were providing services and it just worked. So the network, now the Arts for Healing and Justice Network, really helped support um, we're at 15 member organizations. So we started with six founding wow. organizations. <laughs> we're now at 15 and we support the coordination. They do programming inside the juvenile detention facilities. We're also in communities. So our programming has grown to be in the parks, in housing projects, in school-based settings. And our role is really how do we build the capacity of these CBOs? How do we support with administrative support, financial support, trainings, resource sharing, um, really to help them do what they do best, which is provide direct services to the young people. And that's amazing how it's grown over time and become this coalition of groups, because we know also, especially in the nonprofit world, how sometimes resources are scarce and everybody's always trying to fight for the scraps. 
And I think it's quite amazing that instead of fighting for the scraps, you know, all of the organizations in the network decided that coming together was a much better proposition, much more effective and a better way to build power within the system than trying to go at it alone. And can you talk a little bit about what it means to be in coalition in that way? I mean, that's exactly it. It's really amazing, especially in the nonprofit sector, there's this scarcity mentality. And to have these different organizations that really show up saying, here's my curriculum, here are my lesson plans, here are my evaluation tools, Um, here's how I train my TAs, because they understand that that is the way that things are going to change. And it's pretty powerful. But it's also, I think, speaks to this group of organizations that I think even when they came together was our goal is to transform the juvenile justice system. How do we reach more young people? So this is not about us as individuals. This is about our collective goal of how do we ensure that all young people have access to quality arts education? And so that's really, I think, the driving force of this group is that they, they put aside their organizational needs sometimes to say, like, what is needed to change the system? What is needed to serve the young people best? And if that means that we have to come in 100% and share what we have, that's what we're going to do. And it actually, like you said, you know, we were able to create this new model to fund the work. We're able to now get government funding out to CBOs that are doing the work that have historically been under-resourced, that is now open to the county, to other organizations doing the work. So, you know, you think about like, if I do this, I'm going to lose that when in fact we've been able to tap into sources of funding that were inaccessible to the organizations before they joined the network, which is really cool to see like that they're actually gaining by truly showing up for one another. So is that change in access due to like a change in attitude about the work that you're doing? Or is it just like a the government changed their policy, you know, local and state? Or how did that come about? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, the organizations that are part of the network have been doing this work for, for many, many years. A lot of them were volunteers. So they were not getting any, um, they were not getting paid by the probation department, for example, they were using private dollars to support the work. So I think there was, again, the sort of really perfect moment in time when things just aligned, where probation was, they were needing to get millions of dollars out of their department. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't have the, the mechanism to get that money out. Their contracts are really onerous. A lot of small organizations cannot access that money because they just don't have the capacity to access it. So I think when we came along, we had the infrastructure to apply for those contracts. We had sort of the support to be that pass through. So I think that was an incentive for probation to be like, oh, now we have a mechanism to get this money out to community-based organizations. But I think over the years, even now, especially now, I think there is a big emphasis on how do we provide arts? How do we provide services to this population? So I think it started as like a small group that always knew sort of growing, growing and being like, we need this, like this needs to happen. How do we sustain it? Which is great that more people are interested um, in this kind of work. Yeah, definitely. I, I was also really intrigued by the title of your organization, The Change, because I think your earlier title, you know, described what you did. But the fact that you actually have the word healing, justice is a, you know, a component of a lot of names of a lot of groups that do this kind of work. But the healing part, can you speak to that a little bit? Like, why was it important to have that in your the title of your organization? Sure. And and I have to give a big shout out to, to one of our board members, Amir Whitaker, because he was really 
the champion of us changing our name because Arts for Incarcerated Youth Network, even though it was really clear around what we did as a network, it was very stigmatizing and labeling for the young people. And as we started to move into the community, it became harder and harder for our name to sort of be. And so we actually talked to our board, our members, our young people, our staff, uh, to be like, what what needs to be in our name? What feels like, you know, it, it we can't compromise. So justice was sort of an easy one, like that, definitely. And then when we all start to think about what is the work that our members do, healing came up. And when we saw it together, we were like, those are the two pieces of our work, our art in general, do the healing part, just through the process of art making. And when everybody heard it, it was like, that reflects our values. That feels like the direction that we want to go into. It wasn't just what are we doing now, but thinking ahead of like, where are we heading as an organization? And what are those values that we want to lean into? And healing just felt, it just felt right to everybody that we asked. I love how there is a clear connection with the arts and healing. And that leads me to ask you to talk a little bit about the organizations that are a part of the network, because there is such a variety of artistic practices. And I wonder if you could highlight a few and talk about the work that they've been doing, especially since, as you mentioned, some of them have been doing this work for a really long time. It's not that they just got into it. Absolutely. You know, one that comes to mind, of course, is Street Poets that has been around for so many, many, many years. And healing is so crucial to the art of spoken word, of poetry, of really just sharing, just the practices that they bring in their workshops. I think healing is always at the center of the work that they do. Similar with Somos La Arte, which is part of Homeboy Art Academy and Fabian, and sort of how do they bring uh, culture and tradition into their art making? Really, how do they meet the young people where they're at? We have the unusual suspects. We have one of our newer members, which is No Easy Props Hip Hop 101, which is really grounded in like hip hop culture and really sort of teaching the young people, not just the dance moves, but the history behind the dance moves. So I think all of our members, you know, thinking back about this coalition, one of the things that they created was a shared theory of practice. And these are the elements that they felt are crucial when working with this population. Like what are the elements of a workshop that you have to have? And so when we look at all of our 15 members now, you can see sort of those elements embedded in their in their work. So a check-in, a close-out, a reflective activity, and whether it's theater, dance, music, writing, they all have these overarching elements um, because they believe that those are like the best practices for doing this work. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you came to this work as somebody who is a practitioner, as somebody who is, you have a master's in public health. So I'm just curious to know about your journey and how you ended up being with this fabulous organization. It's so funny that I'm I'm sort of leading an arts organization when I don't have an arts background. <laughs> So I, I That's okay. You, you have to be creative to run to run an organization. So there you go. Exactly. It is an, it is an art and a practice. And, and I've been around enough artists where they're like, everybody's an artist. So I've learned to like embrace the artist in me. But um, I sort of came through the back door of public health. I always knew I wanted to work within the system of mass incarceration. I thought it was going to be in the adult system for a long time. Just sort of giving personal experience. Um, I grew up in... East LA, Boyle Heights area. And so for me, that was just a personal passion of mine. 
I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, how I was going to get there. I did not know about public health. I did not know what public health was. It was not on my radar until I met somebody who introduced me to the field and was like, actually, you should look into, you know, going back to school and, and looking at public health, which I did. And so my concentration was in community health sciences. And that just spoke to me in terms of like, how do you work alongside communities? How do you create programs and interventions that support communities? And when I was in school, even our program did not talk about incarceration as a public health issue. A lot of the courses that I had to take were outside of our department. So they were in the School of Social Welfare, they were in the School of Public Policy, but they were not within our department. I think now, thankfully, things are changing and there's more and more connection looking at incarceration and public health. But I got connected to AHJN during my graduate work. I had to do field work. And so between my first and second year, I was placed there as an intern to evaluate our pilot project. And so I came in as we were launching sort of this experimental program over the summer. I ran our first evaluation report. And as I was leaving, I remember the founding members voted to become their own nonprofit. So I was there for that, that monumental vote uh, that sort of started it all. <laughs> it was amazing. And I remember being like, oh, my, I mean, this is I want to stay connected. And so I never left. <laughs> I sort of stayed in touch. Nobody wanted uh, you to leave Alita. <laughs> I, don't, I was like, I'm just going to creep and go to places and presentations. And as I was getting ready to graduate, I contacted our founding executive director. And I was like, hey, are you looking to hire? And again, it's sort of this like fate and destiny where they were actually just looking to bring on their first uh, position. And I, I joined. And I've been with the organizations really since its beginning. Um, I joke that I grew alongside the organization, uh, started as an admin associate, worked my way through literally every, every title yes. that we now have. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you'll take all of the, the roles, admin associate, program coordinator, program manager, all the way up. But I think that gives me a complete picture of the work, sort of our history, how we started, where we're heading. And so when our founding executive director stepped down last fall I sort of took on the position and it's been it's been hard it's not an easy position uh, especially because I care so deeply about the work but it is so gratifying um, to be able to continue to lead this work forward and you've been doing such a great job and I'm, I'm sure that it hasn't been easy especially during the pandemic when everybody has had to transition so I'm curious to know what that transition has been like for you all as the umbrella organization, as a network, but also for your member organizations, it must be tough on them too, to try to do that work. And even to, I don't know the, if you've um, heard from your young people who are still in these spaces and what it's been like for them. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, I think for everybody, it was such a confusing time right? Not knowing what was happening, so overwhelming, trying to keep things as normal as possible, knowing that we weren't in normal times. I will say, you know, everything closed down. So all of the facilities banned any sort of visitors or services during that time. And what was amazing was that our members were like, what do we need to do to get back in there? Because this is when the young people, the young people need us the most. They're not getting any visitation. They're not getting any programming. Even school had stopped because teachers couldn't go in on site. And so they really began to create these virtual 
program. So whether it was pre-recorded workshops, whether it was delivering arts packets, they really were focused on how do we get back in there because they need us more than ever. So to see sort of how they mobilized in this time of a lot of uncertainty, we didn't know if if funding was going to continue, if we were going to lose funding, um, but that they still pivoted really quickly to ensure that the young people were at least getting some sort of services during this time. And so we work with the Department of Arts and Culture, and we, within, I would say maybe three to four weeks, we were able to um, do virtual programming in the facility. Sometimes that meant calling on the phone and putting the artist on speaker and doing just a, a call workshop in one of the units. But even that felt so important because a lot of the young people, that was their only contact that they had. So it was hard. There was a lot of, we weren't sure how we were going to continue. And because they're artists, I think that's where the creativity came out of how do we still deliver services during this time? But I think it definitely took a toll. I mean, it is for the teaching artists that are doing it. We had a lot of cancellations because we had outbreaks in the facilities. So I think it was just a really hard time for everybody. But the fact that they were like, what, how do we pivot? How do we adapt? And that they did. I mean, that is so remarkable to me. Even now we have some hybrid sessions, the sort of perfected virtual workshops to try to mirror as much as possible being in person. It is hard. I think we're slowly easing our way back to in person, but I think we're still aware that COVID has not left. It's still here. And so we're trying to take it one day at a time. That's really all you can do is take it one day at a time. Um, And you've been doing such a great job at holding it all together. I wonder if you have anything that you'd like to share, um, a piece of artwork from, you know, one of the young people who participates in the programs. Sure. I do have a piece. And this is actually um, this year we're sort of figuring out the direction of AHJN where we're heading, really being reflective this past year. And we we recently held a visioning session for the team. And we have some amazing creative people on our team. And this piece actually was created by one of our poets, um, Barbara Fant. And so I just want to share with you because I think it speaks to to our work, our values, and sort of our vision for, for the network moving forward. It says, there are no more prisons for young people. Black and brown bodies are no longer being policed. Young people are with their families, the ones they have created and the ones they have chosen. People are free in all places. We no longer have to march the streets, but can plant trees where the bullets once landed. All the flowers bloom instead of the blood. Ooh, that is so powerful. powerful. Yeah. And it's very like futuristic like let's imagine mm-hmm. you know exactly what we want and and put it out there and speak it into existence yeah actually it makes me want to ask you because we're you know in this time when it's possible not to really see each other and there's a lot of dissension so i was curious what gives you hope to affect change i think our young people they are so powerful in their beliefs. You know, we work with young people who have gone through a lot in their short lives and they are so vulnerable. They use their their voices for change. So watching them sort of come out from some of the darkest places and then use that experience 
to say like, no, we want to change the way that things are. I think just gives me hope. It keeps me going. I've seen it with uh, young people that start off really shy, really quiet, right. uh, don't really want to participate. And for them to build that trust, it's like, if they can do it, I have no reason. Like I have to keep yeah. fighting because if they're yeah, doing exactly. it, like I, we have I no excuse. We have no excuse. That. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. Yeah. Watching that blossoming is really exciting. I know that you said that you're not necessarily an artist, but have you like grown an artistic practice from being around so much art? Have you, have you dabbled? Have you tried? What's that been like for you? <laughs> I have. It's so funny because I'm sure both of you know, art process of art making is so vulnerable. And, um, and so when we do workshops, if we're there, we say there's no observers, you have to participate. So if we're asking the young people to do something and you're in that space, you have to do it. You have to do it, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I've been forced out of my comfort zone quite a bit. So many being, times, probably. <laughs> where I'm like, I'm doing what improv games? What? Nope. <laughs> um, so I've been forced to, to sort of step out of my comfort zone, dabble, be vulnerable. So definitely poetry is one where um, even as a team we spend time um, doing a creative check-in and so writing and poetry which has also been such a wonderful way to connect with the team during this time where it's not just about work but about the person and realizing that we're all you know human beings outside even this work has been really nice dance is like my secret passion oh okay <laughs> dabbled in dance as a kid and so I always like wish in, in another life maybe to be a dancer so when we have you know our dance organizations uh do something i'm like oh i wish i was a teaching artist with you all um but i cannot move that way <laughs> so, so i you try never know, Alita. you never know <laughs> but it, it, it's such a i think a perk of this job is that you get to be with such incredible artists that are really at the top of their craft and to see their passion for their work, not just as teaching artists, but as artists in their own right. And to see them bring that passion into the work that they do is really contagious. So even though I'm not a full-time artist, it, that does like bleed into like the work that I do and how I approach the work. So it is a, definitely a perk of the position. You can't avoid it. We're roping you in. I'm calling it out that you're an artist. Too. There you go. Yeah. You're going to dance bomb, just like a photo bomb. You're going to dance exactly. bomb. Exactly. I think this is a podcast and not like a video of me like doing some interpretive dance. <laughs> you're safe for now. Yeah, exactly. The technology is not there yet, but soon. <laughs> Well, um, one of the things that we're doing a little differently this season is we're asking our guests to share a prompt with our listeners, something creative, something that they can do that they can share back with us. So we wonder if you have anything that you'd like to offer as a prompt for the folks who are listening in. Sure. I really like Kathy's question that she asked me in terms of what gives me hope, what keeps me going. So I would love to hear what keeps other folks going and what gives other people out there hope. I'm not just doing this work, but in general, given the times that we're in. That's a fabulous prompt. And there are so many ways that people could address it. You can write a poem, you can write a free write, you can make a drawing, um, whatever it is that represents what hope is for you. Um, that's the prompt for this week, folks. 
Well, thank you so much, Alita. This was such a great conversation. Um, I had such a great time learning about you and the HJN. It does not roll all the time at all. There you go. It doesn't. (laughs) Okay. But you know what? I feel like in our conversations, we had this conversation about how it doesn't roll off the tongue. And we were (laughs) like, but that's the work, right? Like, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy work. And that's part of the reason why the name is also a reminder of the work that needs to be done. I love that. Next time somebody's like, why is it so hard? That's going to be my answer, Ella. Exactly. So I'm going to say. The work is hard. The work is hard. But it's definitely all the things that come with being healed. Mm-hmm. It's all there at the end. It's worth it. There's beauty in it. Beauty and justice and healing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Thank you so much, Alita, for joining us, for sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and your creativity with us as well. Thank you for having me. It's been so lovely talking to both of you. Our pleasure. You've been listening to Outside Inside Radio, brought to you by the Prison Arts Collective. Prison Arts Collective is founded on the belief that art is a human right and is dedicated to bringing the transformative power of the arts to people experiencing incarceration. We are based in the School of Art and Design at San Diego State University and have additional chapters at three CSU campuses. Prison Arts Collective is a project of California Arts and Corrections, an initiative of the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Outside Inside Productions are a way to communicate with our participants and with the wider public through video and other media as an extension of our distance learning project created in response to COVID-19. If you'd like to respond to this week's prompt, send an email to packradio4 at gmail.com. That's P-A-C radio and the number four at gmail.com with the subject line, Outside Inside Prompt. We'll select responses to be broadcast on the show during the season. We look forward to hearing from you.